Welcome to Simon Says Inspire, a podcast about life, leadership, and building legacies. I'm John Simon Sr. And I'm Dina Simon. Our guest today is Scott Nickich. Scott is an award-winning business leader and pioneer of the mental fitness movement in the United States. Having started 4D Mental Fitness in 2016, after 20 years of experience in applied psychology, including health and wellness, mentoring, marketing and communications, creative arts, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Scott, welcome to our podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And you nailed my last name on the head. So kudos to you. (laughs) I take it however it comes, but. (laughs) Okay. Okay. I didn't even ask Dean about it because a lot of times when we have a guest, I'll say, am I pronouncing the name correctly? So maybe we're getting a little bit better at this thing. Well, and actually, I would have said, because I normally say Mikesh. Yeah, that's so that's Mikesh? very common. Yeah. The accent's usually on the I, but again, that's just because of how my dad said it. So who knows? I don't know. Yeah. Well, no. So, John, you did great because I would have told you wrong. And so, Scott, after knowing you for over a decade, I apologize because I should know how to pronounce <laughs> it much better because it is a big deal. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, where you live, and a little bit about what you do with your spare time, if you have any of it. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, quote unquote spare. So it's like how you use your time, right? A lot of times. Well, I am based in downtown St. Paul, Minnesota, and have been in the Twin Cities. Gosh, I, I came here for college in the 90s. So I'm originally from Fargo, North Dakota. And really, you know, kind of as the intro alludes to my journey and evolution to get to this space of mental fitness and well-being and and kind of diving into the brain and nervous system you know really just you know as most people can you can kind of go back in time and see that journey and where it started and the little mile markers along the way that got you here but again growing up in fargo north dakota my dad bless his heart you know has an eighth grade education was farmer self-taught musician so became a professional musician my mom graduated high school and wanted to go back to college but had kids pretty young and again just the dynamics um she became a drummer in my dad's band so very highly creative family who really valued creativity so i was really blessed in that regard i was more on the academic side too so i you know when people talk about left right brain i i don't really you know, I'm, I'm not really sure how exact the science is on that, but I'm pretty balanced when it comes to <laughs> between analytical and creative. So in addition, me being, you know, gay now and growing up in an environment that really didn't advocate for that, didn't understand it, didn't want to talk about it. You know, there was a lot of fear and stigma around it. And so for me as a kid and a lot of kids too, for different reasons, right? We we internalize and we maybe think about why we are the way we are we might hide different aspects of ourselves to try to fit in and again this goes across the spectrum i mean there are so many different social pressures that impact people in different ways that it's not limited to one group right it's it's you individually how are you navigating all of those social pressures to be a certain way to think a certain way to behave a certain way and that really led me into you know art and music were both passions of mine and and really fueled my ambition but also I in retrospect now I look at those as really practices of escapism too like it allowed me to create in my mind just an environment that felt empowering that motivated me that 
You know, I could put music on and just feel motivated. I could feel energized. I could hear words and lyrics that resonated with me, even when maybe my physical environment was less than healthful. Um, And the same thing with creativity and drawing, you know, it's really, you're just kind of losing yourself in your imagination and exploring that. And it's really a stress reliever, you know, especially as a kid. Um, and we, you know, I'll kind of share more about just my studies of the brain yeah. and, and why I now realize that was so important. But it really, you know, translated into my education and my academics. I ended up pursuing social psychology and mass media in, in college at the University of Minnesota. And it, it didn't really hit me at the time, which which is striking as well. But for a lot of people just within the psychology field, the brain just isn't discussed. Sure, right. <laughs> Ironically enough, it's so ironic. I had one class in college that was called chemical psychology and it talked about neurochemicals. One out of, you know, the the four years and and clinicians, practicing psychologists that I work with today who are advisors, they don't even get much training within brain function, neurological health, neurological function when it comes to their training as well. So it's really, it's, it's kind of an emerging area of science, but it's also this this disconnect within our healthcare system, within our educational system, where we've just haven't been making that connection for whatever reason. And it's just starting to happen, I'd say maybe in the last five to 10 years. And that's really what what kind of led me towards mental fitness. So having, you know, focused on communications and advertising and marketing and diversity, equity, inclusion programs, and all of these initiatives aimed at influencing behavior with no discussion or understanding about what drives behavior right <laughs> other yeah. than other than emotion right we know oh if it's an emotional message if you can get somebody to to tap into their emotions you'll you'll influence them more but i wanted to know why like the mystery wasn't enough for me like i wanted to know what what harm are we doing to ourselves unintentionally unknowingly and how can we take care of ourselves you know that that part of our system that is driving our our thoughts feelings and behaviors so it, you know it was this this pathway from my own personal journey. journey. Yeah, to just, you know, trying to understand myself that then translated into trying to understand other people. You know, why is doing the healthful thing so hard? You know, we we know, like somebody can give you a list of 10 things to do. We, we could probably write that list of 10 things to do. Right, yeah. But why is it so hard? Like, it's still really hard. Um, and, and, you know, the answer really is, is it's our nervous system that we're kind of working against a lot of times. Um, and again, depending on how we were raised, what we're afraid of, what we were exposed to, you know, what was our environment, how has our nervous system developed? And we're still trying to regulate and navigate that activity that's in our system. So that's what led me to create 40 Fit Mental Fitness from my journey. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Did you end up getting the music from your parents being that both of them were in a band? I did, you know, it's it's funny because when it comes to art and creativity, there's kind of this, you know, there's this belief that somehow you're just born with it, right? Like you have talent, like talents just bestowed upon you and poof, like you're good at something or you're not good at something. And that's where, you know, it really was a detriment to me. And I, thankfully I learned that pretty early on to challenge myself on those things that I wasn't really as good at <laughs> because we're, we kind of gravitate to the things we're good at. So again, I had, you know, I was dancing by the age of two, you know, as soon as I could walk, I was there at the performances of my dad's and, you know, the people would love to see little kids dancing. And 
And so, you know, music just was really part of my environment. So, yeah, I mean, I think I think sometimes we're predisposed to certain abilities and certain, you know, neurological activity or connections, but then it's really influenced by how much is that encouraged and what do we learn along the way? What I also learned is I didn't want to live in a bar. Right, yeah. <laughs> right. Taking a look back at your father being self-taught as a musician, that doesn't happen every day. No, yeah. And again, you know, for him and just hearing his story, living on a small farm in North Dakota, I mean, you know, their entertainment was radio. So the things that we take for granted today, I mean, him listening to music on the radio was his escapism, was his connection to the world, was his way of just feeling good. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately for him, part of his story is he had a sister who was just a couple years younger than him growing up. I want to say she was maybe like nine or 10 when it happened and she got ran over by a tractor. Oh man. And she died and his family was very Catholic. And for the mourning process, they said no music, you know, nothing in the house, nothing, nothing that, you know, would go against the grieving process as as they believed. And Mm -hmm. for him, it was really hard. Hard, yeah. And he told me that, you know, not too long ago now, he's in his 80s um, and and going through some, you know, pre-dementia symptoms himself now. But you know, that, that, that was really his outlet. So being self-taught really, you know, he bought an accordion for himself, uh, when he was maybe 12 or 13 and ended up on the radio, I think at 14 or 15 KFGO radio in Fargo on some music contest. Yeah. (laughs) And, uh, yeah. So he was, he was really big in the red, in the red river Valley. If you know that between kind of North Dakota, Minnesota, he's in the South Dakota musicians hall of fame. Wow. Um, yeah, so he has nice. done a lot for himself, but he always had a he always had a gig on the side. Like he always had something else to kind of supplement his music career. Yeah, pretty much every pyramid scheme you can think of, we probably my family's We're probably tried or attempted <laughs> at some. The accordion was always a great thing for weddings. You know, there always seemed to be in the small town that I was raised in, there would be an accordion player there. Absolutely, the chicken dance. I have nightmares of the chicken dance. (laughs) But yeah, polkas, waltzes, he did a lot of the old time music. And it was a lot of weddings. It was a lot of weddings and then anniversaries. Yeah. (laughs) 50-year anniversaries, six-year, you know. So it's um, for him, it was a really good business model to get into the wedding business because you kind of had repeat clients. But yeah, it was really interesting. A lot of, you know, Eagles, VFW, Moose Lodges. Nice. You know, any sort of supper club you can think of, we pretty much were there somewhere. So I want to ask a real quick question. So Scott, yep. you probably know this better than I do, certainly based on who you are. But with your father, early signs of dementia, I've heard just all this amazing stuff about music, right? And so how helpful that is in therapy and stuff and for him to remember. And so that that I'm sure is a part of part of what you are bringing back to him and encouraging him to do. Absolutely. Yeah. Again, you know, we know it in our bones that music is good for us. You know, it makes us feel good. With a caveat, I do say music is kind of like food in a way or art is, you know, you have to kind of relate it on how you're consuming it because there's a lot of music and art that maybe isn't so healthy or positive. Too. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, if it's like making you angry and want to go beat up somebody, I'd maybe question, you know, right. maybe you don't, yeah. don't want that as much. But yeah, from from even the memory perspective. So speaking to dementia, and I did work as a personal care assistant for a couple of years during the COVID period when everything kind of shut down for a woman with dementia, a dear friend and her family. And 
did a lot of talks and trainings with them on basic brain function and neurological health to know this isn't you. She's not mad at you. This is her nervous system, just kind of having a moment. And yeah, with my dad, his he told me too, if he didn't have his music, it would kind of like, what's the reason to live, you know, sure. for him specifically. It's important, yeah. It, it is, but that um, music language, um, those things that we practice and do over and over again that really become habitual, they become part of our unconscious autonomic nervous system. So that's why with people in their early stages of dementia and even through dementia, you know, that long-term memory and that muscle memory and that autonomic part is the last to go. So with music and music therapy and anything you can use to kind of tap into that part of the nervous system that is still firing well and can kind of make those connections, it's, it's really a neurological tool to kind of tap in and help people through some of the symptoms and some of the different stages and phases, especially with dementia, but even other mental health conditions that just help regulate the nervous system and kind of activate that part in a in a more healthful and healing way. It's fascinating. I, I think that's a great segue. In 2021, you published a book. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yes. So that's kind of a story within a story as well. Um, so... You know, when I when I created 40 Fit, I it was it was a learning journey for me too. And diving deeper and deeper into the brain and the nervous system, it was just there's just always so much more to understand and know and explore and re- new research coming up. So I was really excited, like having this concept of I need to get something out to the mass audience of people who are trying so hard to survive what what can oftentimes be a very toxic and unhealthy environment um and we beat ourselves up over it or we beat each other up over it and just i had this real intense ambition and pursuit to get this information out in a digestible way because not everybody likes neuroscience not not everybody likes biology like it is gets complicated really quickly um but you know how can we talk about it in a very practical pragmatic sort of way like how does it apply to you as a person not just in the scientific field of research and studies and methodologies and blah 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 so during covid i i kind of found my opportunity to to maintain helped me maintain my optimism and my motivation since my work kind of all but just dried up and died up to get my book out and and it just was kind of farming a lot of information I already posted and shared. So going back back into social media and different articles I'd written and trying to just kind of pull all the pieces together. I published that at the end of uh, 2021. I self-published. I looked at different publishers. The tricky part is, at least those that I found, is you either have to fit a niche that they specialize in. And a lot of times you're either going to pay a lot to, to work with them um, and or you need to have a, a large following. So I had little to no funds and I had little to no following. So that kind of disqualified me for a lot of it. But, you know, that's kind of, you know, love or hate Amazon. They have KDP publishing, Kindle Direct publishing. And it was really an avenue and an opportunity for me to take the bull by the horns and get it done, do it myself. And and I, I leveraged my husband and a couple of other friends as editors who read it, you know, as I was going cover to cover, provided feedback, provided edits. Uh, so I didn't have, you know, a professional editor 
which again, had I had the funds in hindsight, I, I wish I would have. So if anybody's contemplating, like that is a value. But I published on a Friday in December and that Sunday I was in the urgent care with anaphylactic shock because, yes. of, because of my the stress from publishing my book. And, and what had happened was I published and uh, the moment I submitted the manuscript, it's in the system, it's in KDP, the Amazon publishing system. I had this euphoric sense of accomplishment. Like I tingled from head to toe. I felt like, oh, the world is right. My life is going to go on. I'm gonna make such a difference. This is wonderful, amazing. I think, I think the clouds parted and I saw the sunbeam like shine on my face for a moment. A few hours later, my anxiety kicked in and I thought, I'm gonna go look at that manuscript again and just make sure all the T's are crossed, all the I's are dotted. And I started to see little fragments of, of a word fell off of one sentence. Uh, and then there was a missing word or a typo on another sentence or, you know, where it's plural instead of singular. Mm-hmm. So it's not something that like spell check is going to catch or your eyeballs just glaze over and you just don't see the mistakes anymore. So I went from euphoria to panic in about 2.2 seconds and asked my husband on that Saturday, I said, can you drop everything you're doing today and help me take half of this book? I'll take the other half. Just look for anything, any errors that don't look right because this is out there now and I don't want to look a fool. I don't want people thinking this is like shoddy work or shoddy information. Um, and he he told me, I, I'm too busy. Like I've, I've got too much stuff going on today. And pretty much immediately my hands started to itch and I started to get swelling under my eyes. And by the next day I had hives all up and down my arms and I had lumps on my face and the back of my neck. <laughs> my nervous system was just shot, was just gone. So we went into the urgent care and they, they admitted me immediately and said I was on the verge of anaphylactic shock because I was starting to get a sore throat. Oh my gosh. And they said the next phase of that is your throat closes up. Mm. So I, I had an epi shot. So people maybe hear of, you know, when you have anaphylactic shock, you have an EpiPen, epinephrine, which is adrenaline. It's a stress hormone. And they put me on prednisone, which is a corticosteroid, which cortisol oh, yeah. is a stress yeah. is a stress hormone. So both of them are hormones to regulate your stress response. That is what produces your allergic reaction. And it made so much sense to me once I went through it. And I'm like, but what I didn't know, so what I learned through the process, and there's other things related to kind of COVID and long COVID and a lot of impact on our uh, immune system and kind of autoimmune, different autoimmune sort of Mm -hmm. disorders that are kind of popping up now. So I don't know for sure if some of it had been kind of triggered and teed up with COVID and everything going on too. Mm -hmm. But I absolutely know that it was the stress of publishing and that panic of it not being perfect that triggered wow. that autoimmune that autoimmune response. And so now I jokingly say my next book's going to be how my book about mental fitness nearly killed me. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, Dana's written the book and, and I did uh, a similar thing called My Collection of Life Stories that my uh, daughter set up for me. And I learned something important just from you right now. I'm glad I never went back to read the book that I did because I would be finding all kind of things that I did because I write the way I talk. And 
Yeah, and there's probably a lot of grammatical errors in it, and, and and like you say, plurals and singulars and everything. But I know the stories. But the kids and the grandkids have read it. And they they're probably making me feel good, but they said it was done well. But, oh, uh, very well. But 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 it was a lot of fun. It took a year to do it, and every week I I would receive a question and. I would uh, I would answer it, but yeah, I can see the stress because I I went through for the year of of doing it. And Dana, I'm sure you went through the same thing in, in writing your book. Yeah, and Scott, I don't know if we've ever talked about this part because I didn't. I mean, I knew we've talked that you went into that stress episode, but I didn't know like all these details. So thank you for sharing that. So I didn't self publish, but I published through Kathy Paper through Rock Paper Star. And so she was my publisher. I did have professional editors and Rich and Amy and others reading through my book. So I had maybe 20 eyes on the book. It was off at the publishing house. So I love also the self-publishing. I didn't do that. I did it through the, the clearing house. So you could go to Barnes and Noble and anywhere and buy the book. And if I do it again, I would do the route that you went for other reasons. That's another conversation. The book was like off to the printer. And I was leading like a webinar and I was talking about the book that was soon to be out. And I took screenshots of a piece of the book and I'm going through this webinar, like 50 people on the webinar. And I look at the slide and I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. There was a pretty major error. And literally I got off that podcast or the webinar as fast as I could. And then I, I messaged the publisher or the whoever is printing the printing house. And I'm like, Houston, we have a problem. Like, where are you at in this? And they're like, Dina, we've already laid like the whatever, you know, the printing process is. We can stop it, but it's going to cost you X amount of money to do it. And I'm like, nope, just let it go through. And then I gave I gave $100 to the person that was the first that found the error. Because I knew, oh. I knew people would, and I'm sure there's other errors too, but it was a decent error. And I'll show it to you next time I see you. It was a decent enough error that seemed like I'm like, okay, who's going to be the first to point out my mistake? You know, like I had that, I had totally had that stress. But I just flipped it. I'm like, you know what? The first person that points it out to me, they're getting $100. And sure enough, <laughs> um, it happens. But so I get it. And I think you can have you could have 50 eyes on it. Professional, there's <laughs> always going to be things. Like we try to be, you know, when we put something out there like that, we so much try to have it be representative of ourselves, our brand and perfect. But there's always that just error of possible of error. Right. Yeah. Well, and that is you know, related to that. So that is part of the benefit of, of doing the self-publishing through Amazon. I think I submitted maybe 20 edited versions after that because I would just kind of burn through it. Like, okay, I got this much edited, upload a new one and then take the next chunk and upload a new one and take the next chunk. So it's all kind of on demand. But that also speaks, I mean, that whole experience, even to what you're speaking to, and even John, you as well, it is how perfectionism can kill us like it yes. really yeah. it really made me realize you know because again i've dealt with anxiety for a long time you know again my childhood not fitting in trying to be perfect that i even i've even had loved ones i won't name names but i've had loved ones say that they were really glad that i came out as gay because because they were afraid that i was too perfect but their implication was that me being gay meant i wasn't perfect Wow. So that's yeah. an imperfection. And I'm like, that's not how I perceive it at all. But thanks, I guess. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. 
But my per- my perfectionism comes from trying to meet everyone else's expectations, you know, yeah. and that's what ex- that's what perfection is. Like if if you don't think I'm perfect, fine, like great. But I but what's hard on me is my own fear of being judged or having people not accept me. And that's for most of us too. Again, you know, it's not limited to any t- certain person or certain group. It's and we can get into that perfectionism realm where we get very competitive. Yep. I personally have never been a really competitive person as far as with other people because I I have always felt really bad when other people fail. Like I I don't I don't I don't get a sense of enjoyment out of watching someone else fail. But I'm very driven. So I'm very driven to have a goal, to achieve it. And I want other people to achieve their goals. And so there is, again, that's kind of that perfectionism piece of it. Um, but, you know, again, to John, your your kind of approach to it would have been absolutely helpful for me to say, it doesn't matter. It's okay. Don't go and scrutinize and analyze everything you've done because all you're going to do is stress yourself out. That's what, that's what kind of keeps your anxiety on high alert um and for me that has been it was a real wake-up call for me but also in terms of how i even describe managing that stress and perfection because i think a lot of people even experience it in retirement you know the data and the statistics or at least the stories i don't know i haven't done a ton of research but i know of a lot of people who enter retirement and within a year they like have a heart attack or they have some illness that just springs up and so part of part of the learning for me was really relating it to you know what what i like about being in the mental fitness space is you can use these metaphors and analogies of physical fitness that people get immediately (laughs) but they don't always apply them to your brain and nervous system so for example if you are doing a hardcore workout and you're running your fastest and you're just stressing your system out do you immediately stop and just start eating you know (laughs) like you have a cool down like you have to like Mm -hmm. let your body and your heart and your nervous system wind down kind of de-escalate kind of get you know rebalance and so we know in the physical realm that you don't just stop doing a really intense stressful activity you let yourself kind of do a cool down and kind of gradually um get to that sort of balanced state again and i did not allow myself in that highly stressed state to just accept okay i can't drop the baton quite yet like i need to just slow down to a jog slow down to a walk slow down to a (laughs) a crawl and then ease myself out of that intense stress um and for me that was really the biggest takeaway that again i don't think we're really taught and told you know it's because we're just like succeed do the big thing like get the award da 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 and how many people feel depressed after that? Like we we like go into this, mm-hmm. we have a huge emotional reaction to like, now what? <laughs> you know? Just think how much easier your second book will be. Yeah. <laughs> and from everything well, that you learned from the first one. Absolutely. Well, I I think I think what my second book is gonna be, I'm gonna rehash the first one because again, it was quite a brain dump. So I tell anybody who wants to read it or listen to it is I did create a podcast about it too. And that just allowed me to kind of add more content to do it as a podcast like that. But I tell people just pick and choose where you want to go because it's a lot. And I feel like there's a lot there where I could just pull out little chunks sure. and you know talk about creativity or talk about this. 
So John, that's kind of where my mind's going with that is you kind of reprocess what you've already kind of put together, right? Yes. I have an idea for you because I may do this. This was my aha, like maybe about a week ago is I might take my content and put it into a workbook. Yes. You could take your chapters, your topics and maybe make a workbook out of it. Absolutely. Yeah. There's, do you know Susie Hun? I'm going to kind of drop some names here, but do you know Susie Hun? sounds familiar, but I don't know. So she started a, a business called Teacher Things. She just recently, so shout out to Susie, but she just published her book called, um, I have it here somewhere, Big Hearted Entrepreneur. Nice. And uh, and she was was a trainer, like teacher. And so she would do, I think a lot of like more, more corporate training, teaching workshops and that type of thing. And so it was very much in the routine of at the end of a chapter, you had exercises or you, you know, because you want to engage the people in the content that they just consumed. Right. Yeah. So for me, definitely, it, you know, it, it's easy to say, again, here are the list of things to do. Now go do them. But to actually provide some sort of, you know, worksheets or right. practices that people can apply kind of in small doses where I jokingly say to kind of, you know, you want to feed people with a spoon and not with a shovel. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yes, good. So, Scott, we've talked a lot about your business, a little bit about growing up. Anything else about your your life that you would like to share that you were hoping to to share with our listeners? Yeah, well, I know you talk a lot about leadership and legacy. Yep. And, you know, the leadership avenue for me was it for, you know, listeners out there, even just people who who are in a leadership role and maybe kind of lose sight of, of what what that even means. I write about this in my brain can't poop as well, that really leadership and kind of the whole concept of power, right, is is really how are you influencing other people? You know, and and the greatest influence we have is through our example, is really leading by example, which is again where people can lead up even where we talk about leading up a lot, but it is, what is, what's the example you're setting that other people are going to mirror? They're going to, you know, learn from you doing and doing it themselves and then feeling rewarded by that. So, you know, when I look back, I, I see a lot of leaders who, who were just kind of caught in the corporate grind of, of production, right? You just had to make sure people did their work, did their job, and you produced and hit your numbers. Um, and that's very stressful. And we just end up being, again, kind of doing the unhealthy thing because that's our that's our default setting. That's our go-to when we're stressed. We okay. just want to get it done. Um, and so for me, you know, within leadership training or just even understanding um, leadership that, you know, a lot of it is knowing how to regulate our stress response to really optimize our creativity, our critical thinking, our problem solving, and then how how do we empower others to do that too? You know, how do we really realize that when somebody already has a hundred pounds of weight in their arms, you don't just throw on another five, you know, and mentally and emotionally, we're doing that a lot of times. We don't even know how much someone's carrying and we just dump more on them without right. kind of checking in first and saying, how is your emotional load? And can right. you take on this? And do you need some support? Um, so I think from a leadership perspective, my experience and just even my my learnings and and research that I've done in the mental fitness space has has just kind of again kind of made those connections of why a certain style of leadership is so effective and why other 
styles aren't so much. You know, if we kind of lose sight of of the human condition and kind of what's keeping us going. And that for me is kind of the legacy piece too. Like I really, I'm trying really hard, which again, people would be maybe really surprised when you get really in the weeds, how lacking and how disconnected the conversation and understanding is around mental health as a function of the brain. That that conversation is just not happening as much as it has, it should be, it needs to be. And for me, that's that's the legacy piece is even just connecting with other people who are doing that work mm-hmm. because it takes it takes a village. Like we all kind of need to have it spread far and wide and and empower each other to have those conversations and discussions um, around brain health and neurological health and how it impacts everything. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Everything. And, yeah. and and somebody's whole self, like what, what's going on at home, what's going on at work, you know, everything. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, it, which makes it hard for my business because people want you to drill down and say, who do you serve? Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> and I am in that conundrum. I serve everybody. But, you know, I, I am trying to drill down to kind of be more, again, leaders, independent um, workers, remote workers, just people who just feel like they're maybe out there on their own who don't have the social, healthful social support. But I also like to say, did you ever know that commercial, um, it's a barbecue sauce where... They say that bleep is good on everything. No. Do you know of that? I forget the name. I'm, <laughs> you know, I won't do free publicity, but there's a hot sauce and the, and the commercial says, you know, they bleep it in the commercial, but they basically sure. say like, you know, this bleep is good on everything. And for me, mental fit, that's what mental fitness is. Like it applies to everything. Everything. <laughs> yeah. I do have something that, that I, that he brought to my attention as we're sitting here talking, he talked about retirement and and what people go through whenever whenever they retire and i think honestly uh i think that would be a, a great discussion for a future podcast with scott i love that and talk a little bit about it because so many people are going through it and they don't realize no matter what age you are whenever you retire the changes that that makes in your life and how do you fill in the time and and keep keep your mental capacity up what are you what are you going to do so i i think that would be a great reason to take you to another area in, in our podcast and, and discuss that yeah i love that scott if you'd be willing yeah. i mean that's one of the reasons that this is so fun for me because i worked for john in my early 20s and he retired at age 52 and still obviously is approaching this podcast like he would you know anything from a business perspective as far as the research he's doing and and it's just been so awesome and so, you know, John, what a fun outlet for you to have something to do in your retirement right now. Like this is a fun passion project for you as well. But not everybody has those opportunities. So like where, how do they find things? Like we've talked about music and, you know, those passions and those outlets. And in retirement, those things are so important. And, and maybe that could be your next book talking about the mental health of retirement. There you go. Yeah, absolutely. I, I Part of that larger conversation, too, is just really dealing with with change and change. loss yeah and and that it really is it really is a grieving process like again <laughs> we we talk about grief and oftentimes in a very limited narrow way that we only talk about it a lot of times related to death and dying but we <laughs> grieve our nervous system goes through the process of grief anytime there is change or loss and it can even be in the long run it could be a healthy change yeah. Right. But your routine is changing. What used to bring you joy and satisfaction is changing. Um, it's basically why people go through withdrawal 
when they're maybe mm-hmm. addicted to a certain chemical because your nervous system is, where is that thing that was making me feel good? And and you go through all these different intense emotions and different, you know, neurological states and, and retirement is one of those that you don't just want to drop everything and think, you know, your life is done or you don't have to do anything now. That's, that's not how the human condition keeps going, you know? Um, well, yeah, so it's, really it, it's such a, it's such a rapid and sudden change in your life because most of us work for 45 years and then you turn around the next, you wake up one Monday and say, huh, I don't have anywhere to go today. And, and, and that's a real shock to you. Absolutely. Or even if, you know, if people have this huge anticipation too, right? Whether it's a, a wedding or a retirement or a graduation or your kids going off to school, like whatever it is, you kind of have a buildup to like this event. Yes. It's like this mm-hmm. big thing. And again, like I had with my book, you have this huge like rush of like dopamine and adrenaline and endorphins. And it's this amazing feeling and experience. And the day after it's over. nothing. Yeah. yeah. And it's, you can just, that drop can just be really unhealthy and can be emotionally difficult and everything else because you know, your system is wondering where, what happened? Why, why don't I, you know, where are those good feelings? Right. And so I would, yeah, I would love to talk more about, yeah. you know, that part of, of the life journey, but just again, how yeah. it relates to all of the other experiences that you go through, that it yeah. is those neurological shifts and changes that you just have to take care of yourself, you know, in different ways. Awesome. Well, we will have you back on. And I'd like to say we've known each other for a long time. When you were the executive director for Art Buddies, you were partnered with us at Simon Says Give with giving out backpacks. And I think we might have done some birthday stuff along the way with art projects and things. I'm not sure. But that's where we originally met. We've been friends ever since. I've hired you to help me with my mental fitness. So I appreciate the work that you've done with me as well but just a huge supporter of, of mine and me back at you here in this community. And we were super excited to have you on the podcast. So thank you for being willing to do so. Thank you too. I am so grateful for you, Dina and John now virtually meeting you as well, but just again, just putting out so much, you know, positive, uplifting, inspiring, empowering information for people to consume and to digest and to really think about, I, you know, both just as a person and as a, you know, personally and professionally, I just appreciate your work and what you do and what you put in the universe. So thank you. Well, we enjoy doing it. Yes, we do. We do. I'd like to thank Scott McKish for being on our podcast. He is an award-winning business leader and a pioneer in the mental fitness space. I have worked with him one-on-one and can attest that he does great work. So if you are interested in reaching out to him, we'll make sure all of his information is in our show notes. He's the author of a book called My Brain Can't Poop. We didn't even mention this, but he just launched a 501c3 that is tied to his 4D mental fitness company. And so maybe when we do have him back on next year, we'll talk more about that. But we'll make sure all that's in the show notes. And thank you again, Scott, just for your partnership in the community. And as always, I would love to thank my father-in-law for co-hosting with me on this podcast. This is our last guest that we will have for the first season as we wrap up 2023. And John and I are going to do one last podcast where we do a wrap for the year. And otherwise, we'll talk to you next year when we launch season two. Until we talk again.